Happy Thursday, everybody. It's time for the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes the not-so-classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm talking about Monster Kid Radio. I am your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and I'd like to welcome you to the show by introducing you to the new song from the band The Beach Moonsters. They are a surf band based out of France, and they just recently put out an EP with this song, Surfing with the Bird Dragon from Venus. You can find out about them over at beachmoonsters.bandcamp.com to check them out. When you're done listening to this episode, of course, they gave us permission to play their music here on the show, and you'll get to hear this song in its entirety at the end of this episode. But there's a lot to get to. There's a lot to do in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. We are in round two of the Monster Movie Madness Tournament with me and Steve Turek. Steve is going to join me here in a few minutes, and we're going to go over the results of the round one voting and then break down what round two looks like and then open that up for new votes for you guys and us to participate and pick the next winners for the next round and so on. We'll explain it here in a little bit. Plus, we've got Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. He's going to talk a little bit about how a particular movie was highlighted in a few issues of famous monsters and then the meat of the episode the bulk of the episode i've got joe stuber coming back he and i are going to talk about probably our final abbott and costello movie that we're going to talk about here on the show the movie is called the time of their lives it is a ghost story it does count for monster content here on monster kid radio and it's a cool little flick it's got some pretty dark moments too it's really good i had a great time chatting with joe about the film and i think you're gonna dig it too But before we move on to the rest of this, there's some business I need to go over with you guys and gals. A couple of things. First of all, Patreon. Now, I know I've been talking about updating the Patreon campaign for a while now, and I was set to do it this month. But with everything going on in the world right now with COVID-19 and the Corona apocalypse, I've been hesitant to do much regarding money. Uh, You know, I appreciate everybody's support. really do. It means a lot to me that you guys and gals enjoy Monster Kid Radio enough that you want to try to support the show and it's just wonderful that you do. That said, I didn't want to start asking for more money, you know what I mean? But, you know, I owe you guys and gals some Patreon rewards, including a shout out. It's time for the monthly executive producer roll call here on Monster Kid Radio. These are the contributors who have supported the show at the Toho level or higher in no particular order. Mitch Gonzalez, Daniel C., Terry Mount, Justin G, Alistair Hughes, Thomas Hunter Brassard, Jonathan A, Tracy and Scott Morris, James Moore, Paul Curtis, T. McKay, Just Curtis, Karen Joan Kohotic, Tom Garganis, Dwayne and Jen W, Charles B, Jeffrey O, Stephen Turek, Jerry Green, Don Evans, and Tammy A. I want to thank you guys and gals for supporting the show. It means a lot. Thank you so much. Now, I'm going to go ahead and update the Patreon campaign later this month. Coronavirus, COVID-19, be damned. we got to put that behind us and kind of live our life, and updating the Monster Kid Radio Patreon campaign page for me is part of that. Besides, I want you guys and gals to know how much I appreciate all of your support. If you are interested in checking out what we have to offer or what we will have to offer, just go to patreon.com slash Monster Kid Radio. And of course, I'll make sure there's a link to this in the show notes. In fact, I think you can find out more about it over at monsterkidradio.net. It's right there, Patreon button. So that's about you supporting the show. I want to talk about now how the show is going to support you during all of this coronapocalypse nonsense. And when I say the word nonsense, I'm not downplaying the importance of it. It's just, it's gotten kind of ridiculous how much it has impacted our lives. And, and understandably so, it's, it's a dangerous situation. It's, it's not good. 
And because of all the shutdowns and the stay-at-home orders and the quarantines and everything, a lot of us are just not able to have the social interaction with our fellow monster kids the way that we used to. We can't go out to the movies. We can't meet up for drinks or coffee or dinner or just hang out and watch movies together at home. We can't do any of that stuff right now. So, Social Distance Saturday is coming back. That's right. This weekend is the Bride of Social Distance Saturday. Social Distance Saturday is what I do here on Monster Kid Radio where I stream movies all bloody day long. Monster movies, classic, and sometimes not so classic, and then sometimes a few exclusives as well. That's happening this Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Head over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio to join the party. Here's the cool thing about Twitch. I'll be streaming the movies, but there's also a chat room that I'm going to be in. And if you're watching Twitch from a device that allows you to participate in the chat, I'd love to chat it up with you about the movies that we're showing, about anything else going on. I just am looking forward to providing that space for the community to come together, chat it up, watch some fun monster movies, and just have a good time. So again, it's happening this Saturday on April 4th at 1 p.m. Pacific. I believe that is what? 4 p.m. Eastern. And I can tell you, it's going to go for at least six hours, if not more. I look forward to seeing you there. Almost as much as I am looking forward to sharing the rest of this episode with you. So why don't we go ahead and get to that right after this. Monsters of Hollywood magazine names it Chuck Award winner. The Monster of Piedras Blancas. The Monster of Piedras Blancas, the world's most shocking monster, stalks its unsuspecting prey, feasts its eyes on the next victim to writhe in its slimy arms. The screen's most nightmarish beast. A claw-fingered, scaly-skinned, half-human crustacean, turning a lonely lighthouse village into a frenzied bedlam of blood-curdling horror. Never have you known such cringing terror, then trapped in a torment of unendurable suspense. See the movie named the most brain-paralyzing shock story of them all, The Monster of Piedras Blancas. Dr. Tongue's I Had That Shot, 7129 Northeast Fremont Street. Vintage goofiness from years gone by. Sci-fi and fantasy memorabilia. We specialize in things your mother threw away. And some she didn't. Dr. Tongue's Toys. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power, power to destroy entire cities. Open fire! Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? 
The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. This is the results of round two, right? Yeah, round two of the Monster Movie Madness March Tournament Sports Ball thing. Yes! Oh, Steve Turek, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. I'm, we had a lot of responses, and it's nice to see the reaction. Certain movies were very close. Um, there was one that was, there was a couple actually, but one was a real big blowout. For anybody who might just now be joining us, just to kind of recap what we're doing here. Every year, we started this last year, every year we're doing a Monster March Madness thing. I know very little about how all this sports stuff works. So Steve Turk comes in and he runs the show. And this year, what were the movies that we picked? How did you break down this this list? On the way we did the list, when I'm Monster Bash, I went around to different people and asking them for movies that the general public would think is not good, but we all know quality when we see it and experience it. And it speaks to our hearts. Our brains might be telling us a different story, but our hearts are telling us this is pure gold. So we had, how many did we have last week? Last week we had 32 and this week we are at 16, which will then you'll go eight, four, two, and then there'll be, the winner there we go. of the 2020 tournament. And, of course, the beauty of it, as you said, sports, there are no sports. ESPN should be airing us. You hear that, ESPN? Because I know y'all are listening. I don't even know any of the people on ESPN. Otherwise, I would have called them out by name. But anybody on ESPN, you know. Yeah, I don't think that's how it works, Steve. They air poker in the past. I'm sure they could air this. <laughs> Just think of the ratings boost you would get. <laughs> yeah, because I'm sure there's a huge crossover audience between... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. This is Steve's game. Why don't we go ahead and get into this? The East Division. Now, I have not looked at any of the results. All I can see is the total number of responses. I, I do share this document with Steve. So he's looked at it. I have not. I'm excited to see what we got. Uh, let's see. Our first round in the East Division. The first matchup. Yes. Yeah, Modest Hands of Fate versus Billy the Kid versus Dracula. You, you voted for who again, Derek? One of the best movies ever made. Manos, baby. Manos. Well, Billy the Kid shot him. And yeah. Moves on with 56.3% of the vote. I think it's like you and I talked about last week, John Carradine. 
It's the John Carradine fan club that's that's moving this movie along. I realize that, and I also know that Manos is a long haul. It is a slog to get through. And, uh, you know, I think I've just come out on the other side of that film where I truly, truly enjoy it. In fact, if I can just interject here, I was having a conversation with uh, Dominique Lamsey's yesterday, in fact, about Manos and that in her experience, it seems like more filmmakers seem to like Manos than other folk. And, and maybe it's because we see some of ourselves in what they were going through. And not, not that I'm a filmmaker, but at one point I, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. So I, I do see a lot of what I went through when I was doing my stuff in that film. So maybe that's why I enjoyed as much. I know more people just don't have that background when it comes to watching Monos, and I get it. Billy the Kid versus Dracula, though, it's a good film. Tying on your thing, a lot of people who don't create certain things like movies or other things look at it in a different mindset. Oh, I don't like this, and they just like to beat it down, but yet they produce nothing themselves. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not enjoying the film. I mean, that's for whatever reason, that's fine. You know, you do you, it's all good. Uh, I don't begrudge anybody for not liking Manos, uh, and I'm not even upset that it didn't make it to the next round. I didn't think it would. Oh, I'm not saying that people not enjoy it. I'm just saying how people will sometimes just trash a movie, like like go out of their way to belittle what people have done or attempted to do. And it's, it's that's different than disliking a movie. We've all seen movies with great directors, great cast, and it didn't work for some people. Like my daughter saw Inherit the Wind. And, and and we all liked Joshua Kennedy, Ben, myself, but she didn't care for it. So just because she didn't like it, that's different than bashing a movie. And I think sometimes because these movies have the lower budgets and other stuff, people just want to bash them. It's like, no, you really should look at it. How these guys were able to take these low budgets and make them into right. a movie. And I think that's something that should always be appreciated and always should be respected. Now, it might not be your kind of movie. It, 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 people might say the pacing's off, other things, whatever. That's individual taste. But they made a movie, which is more than I have. <laughs> art is not created in a vacuum. And I think art gets infinitely more interesting when you start looking at what happened around the artist to make that art happen. You know what? This is a long conversation that I could get into and really enjoy. But that's not what we're here for today, man. Let's, let's move no. on. Let's go to the next matchup. Well... We had the horror at Party Beach against the Wasp Woman. And Derek, you called it correct. The horror at Party Beach moves on with 53.5% of the vote. At one time, these two were tied. And then a few people came in and voted for the horror at Party Beach in the last hours of the polls. And um, that's how the horror at Party Beach moved on. Horror at Party Beach, it's got the music. If nothing else, it's got the music going for it. You know, that's the second week in a row you keep saying about how it has great music. And it's surf music, man. It's the stuff. Well, let me ask you this question, Derek. Uh-huh. Do you like the hard party beach better than Billy the Kid versus Dracula? Because those two are now head-to-head to decide who wins the East Division. Who do you like? Billy the Kid versus Dracula or the horror at Party Beach with all the music? Wow. John Carradine or music? See, in this particular case, though the traditionalist in me comes out 
because I love surf music. I mean, you guys and gals know that you hear it every week on the here on the show. I, I mean, it's one of the things that keeps me going. But I'm a traditionalist, man. You take a classic monster up against any other kind of monster, and I'm typically always going to side with the classic. You got Dracula. He's like the big bad, man. So I'm probably going to go that way. What about you? I'm going Billy the Kid versus Dracula. It's a Western. It's got John Carradine. What more could you want? A bigger budget, but that's a whole, you know, you know, <laughs> moving on. There's a lot of filmmakers yeah. that wanted bigger budgets, but I mean, you know, hey, that ship has sailed. That movie's done and it's on, it's on blue right now, right? Yeah, we live in a world today in which Billy the Kid versus Dracula and Manos, the Hands of Fate, are on Blu-ray. You know, we're living in amazing times. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And you know what's more amazing? The West Division. Oh, boy. <laughs> Man, two matchups. The Giant Claw versus Horrors of Spider Island. I voted for the Giant Claw, and you voted for? Spider Island. I just, I love that movie. Uh, probably inappropriately, but I do love that movie. The Giant Claw. As we all know, it's it's what, Derek? It's as big it's as a, a battleship, man. Big as a battleship. And of course, a battleship against an island. That's just that's not a good matchup. Not a good matchup. 76.1% of the vote went for the giant claw. I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I wasn't surprised. Go claw. Go all the way, baby. I want giant claw to come up against something that, that's really gonna make me have to like bang my head like wouldn't it be wonderful giant claw ended up against godzilla in the end oh my lord i would i would be freaking out wow i really would have a tough time <laughs> but we'll get to that when we get to it earth versus the spider is against it conquered the world and who did you vote for it conquered the world is a great film it's a lot of fun it's corman it's blaisdell but Earth versus the Spider, man, it's got the music. The Spider comes to life through the power of rock and roll. Well, sadly, Derek, 67.6% of the votes went for It Conquered the World. I'm not surprised. The West Division was big blowouts. That's all right. But now, the Giant Claw has to go up against It Conquered the World to decide the winner of the West Division. That is a tough matchup. <laughs> I'm voting for the claw because like I just said, I want to see the claw go all the way. I just love that film for reasons I said earlier, you know, and stuff like that. But it's just, how can you not like looking at the giant claw? But then again, it conquered the world has Burpa. You know, you have another interesting looking or great looking creature. So who are you going to go with? I'm going with the giant claw. I'm all in with the claw. Yeah, me too. Me too. Mira Corday. I know I'm voting for the claw. I know you're voting for the claw. I don't know what the listeners are going to be voting for, but it's, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we're flipping a coin on this, well, rowing a die or whatever. This could be another tie. Yeah. I don't think either one of them is going to blow the other one away. Speaking of blowouts, let's go to the South Division. Okay. In the South Division, we had Plan 9 from Outer Space up against the Crawling Eye. Now, I know who you voted for. Yes, sir. And there was a time when this was at 100%. And I voted for the crawling eye just to give it some representation. The Plan 9 from Outer Space won huge, 83.1% of the vote. It annihilated the eye. Take that, people who say that's the worst film of all time. Take that. You got to get the movie credit. It has plans. The other movies don't have it. They're coming in these competitions. They're just like, oh, we can win it on looks. Plan 9 has a plan how to beat every movie that's in this contest. 
whether they can pull it off or not is a different story, but they got a plan. I, I think that's a stretch, but okay. I'll go with it. I'll keep it. So I'm saying they got good coaches. They got Ed Wood as their coach. I mean, who could get a better coach? Oh, boy. There, this is a flood of... <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to keep all those thoughts to myself. Next round. <laughs> Next matchup. Next round. Next round has another Ed Wood movie in it, Derek. Did you know that? I, I did. It's uh, Gamera versus Bride of the Monster. Yes, it is. And I went with Bride. Yeah, Bride. Because it's Bela, man. I went with Bela, too. But 70.4% of the vote went with Gamera. Really? Okay. Yes. Gamera is going up against Plan 9 from Outer Space. Gamera. I know you kaiju fans are kind of... No, I don't know. I got nothing. You got nothing? I got nothing. <laughs> Do you think Claim 9 from Outer Space has a plan to counter the Gamera, the giant monster? Yeah, I do. I do. That's what I like to hear. Confidence. I'm voting for Gamera because I like that movie better. But I actually think Plan 9 is going to win because, again, Ed Wood is coaching them. He's got them zigging and zagging when everybody's thinking they're going to zig, they zag, all that stuff. He's got them going. Ed Wood is the master. And people thought of him as filming. No, he's a great coach. Okay, I maybe know. Maybe I'm getting John. Maybe I'm getting John Wooden mixed up with Ed Wood. Now, John I, Wooden, the I, yeah, the classic UCLA coach. Maybe I'm getting confused. I know Steve just said Ed Wood is a master, but keep in mind he spends a lot of time off mic with me, calling me master. So is he really to be trusted? I mean, come on. She just, she just threw out all my validity. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I don't know. Let's go north. I, take that, <laughs> I just take that as an April Fool's joke. Oh, okay. All right. North Division. North Division, my friend. We had Robot Monster versus Frankenstein Conquers the World. Who did you vote for? I really enjoy Robot Monster. I think it's really unique and dreamlike and entertaining, but... Frankenstein Conquers the World has Nick Adams. It's got a really cool opening sequence. It's got Frankenstein. It's it. That's where I went. And that's where I went to, and that's where 59.2% of the voters went. Excellent. Now, Derek, that takes us to the matchup that you've been waiting for. Oh, the hold, monster. Hold on, hold on. Before we move on from that, how many people did you say? What was the percentage on that? Uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World? 59.2% mm -hmm. of the vote. Well, 59.2% of the voters might be interested in knowing that I am currently selling an original campaign manual from Frankenstein Conquers the World on eBay right now. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. That's a good tie in there. Hey, I, <laughs> dude, I got to make rent this month. Come on. <laughs> Go to brother, was it brother D73? Yes, that is my uh, seller name on eBay. He's a seller you can trust. I've bought stuff from Derek before. All right, next round. The monster of Pedro's Blancas versus Godzilla raids again. I wonder, Derek, what movie did you vote for? What do you think? I think you, <laughs> I think you voted for the monster of Pedro's Blancas, and I think I voted for Godzilla raids again. Actually, I know I voted for Godzilla raids again because. So we canceled each other out. We canceled each other out. Sixty-four point eight percent of the vote went to the winner. And Derek, are you sitting down? Oh boy, yeah, I think it went. The monster yes. of Pedro's Blancas won. Excellent. April Fools! They lost! <laughs>
Yeah. Did it really? Godzilla Raids again won with 64.8% of the vote. Man, I don't know what y'all Dude, Godzilla Raids again is one of is is one of the lesser sequels in, in, in one of the lesser Godzilla films from that era. It's not that good. I'm just telling you, a, a creature-type monster from the Creature from the Black Lagoon, the monster, can't even beat Godzilla when he's not bringing his A game. He's bringing, like, his F game, G game, whatever game, and Godzilla still puts down that competition. Uh-huh. Listeners, I'm going to hold this against you. Just, <laughs> just you wait. You'll get yours. Which makes the North Division, now renamed the Toho Division. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because we have Frankenstein conquers the world versus Godzilla raids again. Uh, who, who are you going for, Derek? I don't care. Frankenstein conquers the world of Godzilla raids again. I don't care. You don't care. Oh, Derek, <laughs> come on. You can't. You're going to take your ball away? Uh, Frankenstein. It goes to Nick Adams. Yeah, well, it's a better film. It's a tough one for me. <laughs> a Godzilla movie versus. Oh, man. I really don't know. I literally could go either way. But at least I know a Toho movie's making it to the final four. And that just makes my heart sore. Uh-huh. But the only, the only votes that matter, really, because you and I are going to cancel each other out again on a lot of these, is what the listeners decide. And, um, and, and listeners, vote. Spread the word. Let's get the votes out there. Don't let your favorite fall aside. Drown. I mean, the Wasp Woman almost made it. But it didn't get enough votes. So if you're, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm going to vote, don't wait. Vote when you see the link. And the link is the same: tinyurl.com/slash/monstermadness2020. Head over there, and we will open this up for another few days for the third round. Votes are due. Voting will end on April seventh of next week, and we'll see what happens in the next round. And Steve and I will get together, go over the results, and announce the final. Are we in the final four now? Yeah, the final four. Okay, yeah, we're, we're we're going from eight to the final four because we 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 did not do sixty four movies this this year because right. I didn't get I got like fifty something, so I decided to just do thirty two, and it also it works I think works better for us to do it to keep things moving along because the sixty four gets to be a little too unwieldy. Right. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good to me, man. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to see what happens. You know, I mean, Billy the Kid against the horror of Party Beach. I mean, the Giant Claw against It Conquered the World. That is a titanic matchup. Plan 9 from Outer Space against Gamera, the giant monster. Frankenstein conquers the world against Godzilla raids again. I mean, there are people that wanted Frankenstein's monster to go against Godzilla. And now, in a sense, it's happening. Yeah, I don't care. (laughs) Witches, demons, man-made monsters all make up the news tonight. And we'll have more after this. Night of the Witches and Dr. Frankenstein on campus. Never before has the screen dared such cold, unspeakable terror. Tales of vampirism, supernatural horrors, medieval demonology, and coffins in the castle dungeon occupied by day, empty by night. You will believe the most unimaginable grip of cold, dead horror ever felt, ever shown on any screen. 
Night of the Witches, and Dr. Frankenstein on campus, shown together in a bond of eternal fiendship. <laughs> the management has agreed to provide nurse and ambulance service for stricken patrons. Rated R. Hey, weirdos. <laughs> Bring a fiend to a night of terror. But wait until the dead of night. And from behind the tombstone, maybe you will see... The man and monster. And he is usually with... The bloody vampire. It's time for terror. If you see this, you will see an unspeakable horror that terrorizes the universe. You and your fiend can make it a foursome when you meet the man and monster and the bloody vampire. Greetings, listeners. It is I, D.B. Spitzer, beckoning you closer to the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos. Learn of terrible meetings in lonely places, of cyclopean ruins in which vast staircases lead down to abysses, of nighted secrets, of complex angles that leap through invisible walls to other regions of space and time, and of hideous explorations in remote and forbidden places. This is an exploration of the Cthulhu mythos, pgttcm.com, darkmyths.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, or wherever you find your podcasts. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. In honor of today's guest, Comic Book Central's Joe Stuber, we are going to continue our look at his favorite superhero in FM, Christopher Reeve's Superman. Superman 2 was featured three times in Famous Monsters. In FM 175, from July of 1981, he shares the cover with The Clash of the Titans and Raiders of the Lost Ark. What a great year for movies. Inside is a preview article two pages long with three photos. It gives a brief synopsis that starts with this. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Add to that famous list, barely able to save Metropolis from the destructive might of three Kryptonian supervillains. That's the plot of Superman 2, and we can promise you this, rarely has the screen seen as much spectacle and action crammed into a two-hour motion picture. The article concludes with a look at the cast. Coverage continues in issue 177 from September of 1981, where the Man of Steel shares the cover with Yoda. Inside, we find a four-page article with six photos. It is a critical review written by Dale Winogura. Here are some highlights. Comic strip territory. For such a light, pleasant excursion into funny land, Superman 2 is surprisingly serious. That doesn't prevent it from being well-told, old-fashioned fun, for that's what it primarily is. Though its range of emotion and character is much broader, more convincing and sympathetic than the previous film, it never pretends to be anything more than a relaxing, comfortably enjoyable two-hour pastime. More humanity is conveyed in this Superman than the last one, as the Man of Steel must choose between giving up his immortal powers to be with Lois Lane always, or helping humanity against troubles of all sorts. 
It's a very simplistic conflict for sure, but director Richard Lester and his cast get as much honesty of emotion as they can out of it, without being gooey or sticky sweet in sentimentality. Superman 2 is featured once again in FM 178 from October of 1981, where Superman again shares the cover with Raiders of the Lost Ark and American Werewolf in London. Inside we find an interview with my favorite supervillain, Zod from Krypton, Terrence Stamp. Let's hear one of the questions and answers. What was your mental attitude towards Zod? Although we were feeling what was just a comic book, it wasn't nothing. It was a very big deal to me. For one thing, everyone who had ever read a Superman comic book would come to see this film. We couldn't let them down. Also, we had to play it seriously because people who enjoy Superman take him seriously. That's what the audience expects, and one does not want to let an audience down. As for playing Zod, intellectually, a genuinely powerful man can't afford to be gentle. Like Superman, he doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. He's confident. Zod isn't like that, which is why he is an arch-villain. If you love Superman and other comics on film and television, be sure to check out Joe's fantastic podcast, Comic Book Central, where he interviews creators of comics brought to life, including some stars and creators of these Superman films. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters. We'll have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. Superman 2, the adventure continues. There is something evil in the skies headed for Metropolis. Three outlaws from the planet Krypton with the same powers as Superman. When will these dummies learn to use a doorknob? Superman, where are you? Now, the adventure continues at the Eiffel Tower. And on the moon. And the romance continues. This is the spectacular challenge. Superman! General, would you care to step outside? to a climactic super battle in the skies over Metropolis. If you've only seen the first part, you haven't seen the best part. Superman 2. The adventure continues this June. You will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atom Age Vampire, you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance as tragedy forever mars her loveliness, leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face. Restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. I'll transplant directly from another human being. 
a mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. <laughs> Fire a volley through the window pane. You will gasp as lust and madness stalk the dark and screaming night in Atom Age Vampire. Here's motion picture adventure and excitement to stagger the imagination. The fantastic fire monsters raging out of the flaming bowels of hell. Mighty Gigantus crushing whole cities in its wrath. And deadly Angurus screaming its challenge of mortal combat. The battle of the ages. Scenes and sights and sensations beyond anything the screen has ever shown. Evening, monster kids. This is the Count. I'm here with some friends to tell you about our favorite board and card game podcast. It's Go Forth and Game. Tom and Ryan talk about all things gaming with special emphasis on interviews with game designers and publishers. What do you think about this, my tall, gaunt friend? Go Forth, Game. Good. And what about you, my undead comrade? I think Go Forth and Game is the most entertaining podcast about board and card games that I've come across in 4,522 years. So, if you enjoy listening to two monster kids discuss topics like abstract games, the best family games, game schooling, various game mechanics, and of course, monster-themed games. Then you should give Go Forth and Game a try. That's GoForthAndGame.com, available on iTunes and Spotify. This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned. And don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. You know, listeners, since it took so long 
between the time that I had Joe on the show the last time and then this most recent time, I didn't want to wait that long again this time. So Joe and I got together and besides, what else are we going to do when we're self-quarantining, right? Let's talk about Abbott and Costello. Joe Suber, welcome back to the show. Odds bodkins and spotty widgets, my friend. <laughs> Man, am I glad to talk to you. Boy, am I happy now. <laughs> You know, I got to tell you, I just rewatched this movie again this morning. Oh, like a double shots. You did yeah. like uh, just back to back. Yeah, it's very rewatchable. That's the one thing I love about this flick. I mean, a lot Abin Costello films are always rewatchable, but this is certainly one that falls into that category. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it nearly as much as I did. Yeah. So this was your first time or right? like you hadn't seen it like back in the day. Like this is all new to you, right? Exactly. Exactly. Why weren't you expecting to like it as much as you did? I'm curious. Well, I did a little bit of reading, not as much as I'm sure you probably did, but I did a little bit of reading. (laughs) And this was, according to what I saw anyway, this was produced when they were having kind of a spat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I also knew that it wasn't them as a team. It wasn't, you know, the back and forth, back and forth. They were going to be separate characters, separate time frames, practically. And I didn't expect to enjoy it the way that I did, but I really enjoyed this one. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was one of the oddball ones. It was, well, we'll talk a little bit about like the rift and we'll get some of the back history more in detail later. But yeah, this falls into that. They were always arguing, fighting, but there was one serious one uh, that came out of it. And as we'll get into some of the back history, there was so much going on with the team of Evan Costello themselves behind the scenes of this too. But I think it resulted in one of... One of their best, you know, Meet Frankenstein is obviously my favorite, but I put this right up there. And I think it may be because it is so different for them. And there there are so many elements that aren't in play in other Abbott and Costello films. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. And just the lines, the scenes, and like you said, it takes place in different time periods. So that aspect of it, you know, the 150 or what is it, 166 years in between, there's so much unique about this film it's a good one it's one of my faves yeah it it really is different it's not just set up comic moment set up comic moment between the two of them they have different partners that they're playing off of uh well at least (laughs) Costello does Abbott doesn't really have a partner to play off of but it's still really interesting and there are some elements in this that reminded me of Abbott and Costello meet the invisible man where you've Mm -hmm. got Bud doing things without Lou and right. really showing that, you know, he could have made a run as a dramatic actor. That was one of the things I was thinking of, and certainly one of the things I called out when I was doing some research on this, too, is that this is the film that proves they didn't need the vaudeville routines, the skits, all the different things, you know, the who's on first and the pack and unpack and, you know, slowly I turn and all those things. They didn't need those to be funny. And like you mentioned, Abbott, I think... This proves he didn't do it, but this proves that he could have been an amazing character actor. He could have been in a ton of films without Costello. Sure. uh, And still been funny. So this film proves a lot of different things about them. And you've got some subversions of what we normally expect with with this this team as well. Instead of Lou saying, I'm a bad boy, you've got... (laughs) her calling him a bad boy. So, so, you know, you've got the references, you've got some of the things you expect, but just tweaked a little bit to make it feel a little more fresh and fun. Yeah, that's the one I, I thought. Because we, we do get scared Costello, because that's we love scared Costello, you know. But it's weird because 
he's the one you think would be scaring other people and he gets scared by the fact that he's with a ghost, but he is a ghost. And you know, Mar- the, the great Marjorie Reynolds oh, plays Melody Allen. And I love her in this. Oh, she's great. She is amazing. And it's great because she kind of becomes the Bud Abbott. Yeah. The typical Bud Abbott in this. And it's just interesting to see him with, instead of a straight man, a straight woman, you know, to play the jokes off of. Again, you get those things at play, but it's such a different dynamic in this. And she's just amazing. And this, and we'll, yeah, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a lot about her. I mean, you talk about casting. I know one of the things uh, you and I off mic had talked about too. I'm learning as many times as I've seen this film. And I think the first time I saw it was a real little kid, you know, way back in the day. The, I've probably said this before. WPGH TV 53 out of Pittsburgh would run Abbott and Costello movies every Sunday morning. I always loved when this one came on. I always loved when Frankenstein came on. Sure. But th- those are kind of like two of my favorites. But as many times as I've seen it since then, and it's been a lot, I'm still learning stuff about this film. That we have we have a comic book connection yeah, with we do. this film. Yeah, we I, do. I, I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, wait, this doesn't. That's Kirk Allen, like right at the beginning of the movie. <laughs> uh, it, you know, I mean, obviously it takes place Revolutionary War times. Uh, what is he? He's uncredited in the film, but he's listed as dandy at party. <laughs> They're all listed <laughs> as dandy at party. But it was like two years before he put on the cape and became Superman. I, you know, as much as I love this film, I just made me love it even more. <laughs> I saw that <laughs> Superman is in it. It's kind of like watching Gone with the Wind and George Reeves pops up, you know, and you see like, yeah. oh, yeah, like you see them outside of the different things that they've been you know, known for. I, I knew when you started watching the movie because you sent me a message. You yeah. something new and, and this image of Kirk Allen as Superman is like, oh, OK. Yeah, I put that out on Facebook and people answered the question like, yeah, time of their lives. I'm like, how did I not know this? <laughs> <laughs> it's really a different kind of film for them just overall with the cast and you know the back and forth and the, the storytelling there's just something magical about it you said that marjorie reynolds really kind of played the straight woman she was the abbot to the costello but with a lot less physical abuse um uh, <laughs> yeah she was nicer to him. she was a lot nicer to him <laughs> yeah but, i mean she she loved him you know because they obviously it's been 166 years together but at the same time she's frustrated with him because yeah if you had to spend that much time with Costello you'd probably get to be frustrated too so just, just, just a, yeah just a little probably it's just a different dynamic and you mentioned something unique too it's like even the trailer they knew how to market this even the trailer promises something new from Bud and Lou. What a predicament for Chubby Lou. He's a ghost, all right, a relic from revolutionary days, chained to the manor by a ghostly curse. And when, in our day and age, the manor is restored and some perfectly modern people move in, what can the poor ghost do? I'm going to haunt him. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Emily, when you first came in here, did you or did you not kick me? felt something, eh? Uh, I, uh... I thought so. It's you they're after. Can you hear me? <gasps> who are you? What are you? Identify yourselves. Cuthbert Greenway, you know who I am. I'm Horatio Prim, the little tinker, and this is Melody Allen. We were on our way to warn General Washington about Benedict Arnold. Horatio, and then, Horatio. I mean, but I got Don't be silly. Don't you realize they can't hear us? Thank you, Dr. Greenway. Thank you. If you don't all stop acting like a bunch of crazy lunatics, I'm going to start behaving like one myself. Uh (laughs) I think it didn't perform as well as maybe some of their other films. 
had done. But uh, man, when you watch this now, it over time, it's kind of like uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I don't think It's a Wonderful Life did well in its original theatrical run. But obviously now it's beloved by everyone around the world. So sure, sure. even Evan Costello fans, I think, kind of picked this one out as one of their best. Yeah, so the movie, and I don't know if you actually even said the title. I'm sure I said it earlier in the episode. The Time of Their Lives, 1946, uh, the great Charles Barton coming in to direct The Boys. Was this the first time they had worked together? Yeah, this was the first of nine total features that he did for them. So basically the next, this one and the next seven, they knocked eight off in a row. Time of Their Lives, Buck Privates Come Home, that one really went through well. Wistful Widow of Wagon Gap, Noose Hangs High. Our favorite, having Costello meet Frankenstein, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Mexican Hayride, Africa Screams, and another one of our favorites that we've talked about, Bud Abbott, Luke Costello meet the killer, Boris Karloff. Those were just back to back to back to back to back. Boom. I mean, what a run. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then it was Charles Lamont for a huge run. Uh, we talked about him. He directed some of our faves. And then for their last movie together as a team, 1956 Dance With Me, Henry, uh, Charles Barton came back for that one. Uh, so nine total, yeah. I mean, what a run with these guys. He seemed to really understand how to direct them and what made them their best on film. Yeah, and it's interesting you say it because he knew, um, even in this one, like he knew right off the bat how to deal with them too because there was a story. And again, um, we've mentioned these books before, but if you are an Abin Costello fan, I highly recommend several of these. First of all, Abin Costello in Hollywood, uh, that's an amazing book. Uh, Lose on First by Lou's youngest child, his daughter, Chris Costello. Uh, which is another good one. Talks a little bit about uh, this era, uh, more specifically about the breakup and things like that. And then I also have the Ab- the official Abin Costello scrapbook. Uh, so those are the three books that I was using. But there's stories in there about the rift. This was a weird time because they'd sort of broken up uh, the year before. Officially, bro- you know, they would work together, but not socialize together. And there was a reason, a strange reason for that. But there's a story too that Costello, as they were filming, wanted Abbott's role. Because he was off for a time and then they were filming with Bud because there's scenes that they're not in together. And then he felt, at least that's the way the story goes, is that Costello felt that they were doing more with Abbott and that he was getting a bigger role and he wanted to change it. And and the director was like, you know, all right. And no, but – and then Costello went off for a few days and then came back and then just shot his scenes again. And man, it's, there's so much that goes on because uh, Lou was sick. He had just come out of battle with, uh, was it rheumatic fever? A few years earlier, his, his son had died in a pool accident. So that changed him a lot. And so I think at that point, people just realized, you know what? Sometimes he just has to vent and do whatever and then go off and then come back. So, you know, it's just interesting. You talk about the director knowing how to handle them. Right off the bat, Charles Barton knew how to handle these guys. Probably why he was able to do nine films with them. I was going to ask you about the uh, the story about him walking off set or, or wanting the other role or whatever. Yeah. Hearing more details and learning more details about it that he thought, you know, the other guy was getting more roles or more more screen time. I don't understand. Did he not read the script? I mean, he's kind of the focal point here. Yeah, because obviously Abbott has the straight role in it. So it would, and maybe, you know, maybe Costello, I, again, there's a weird thing because the, the story, and Costello talks about this too. He, he admitted to this. He, the, in 1945, they had been fighting and arguing, but he was really suspicious of Abbott. I, and again, I think the death of his son like really changed him, hmm. just made him angrier. His daughter details this in the book how it was just day to day. You know, I mean, I guess now they may define. I don't know, it was bipolar or something like that. I mean, who knows? Back in the day, it was just one day was he was this, one day was that, and 
she mentions that a um, housekeeper, Costella had fired a housekeeper. He had like three or something like that. And then Bud Abbott hired the housekeeper. And so Costello, I guess, was thinking that Bud was spying on him by hiring the housekeeper and trying to figure – because there was like all these business deals and Bud seems to be the dominant one in the movies. But at this era, it was always Costello. He was always like yelling at the managers and for more money and he was you – know, and Bud would just kind of like lay back and <laughs> take a subservient role. And Costello apparently lost it at this point when Bud hired his housekeeper. Costello said in an interview years later, he is a stupid thing. That was what caused it, this whole housekeeping <laughs> So he was really suspicious of Bud. So it makes sense even on when they're filming this. And uh, what was it? The the movie right before this. Oh, was the one they did uh, right before? I just had it. Uh, oh, Little Giant. They made right. two movies in 1946. Little Giant and Time of Their Lives. Both, they're like separate. It's not the team in both of those films. And again, those scripts may have been written ahead of time. So they may have kind of been drifting toward that. But it's just interesting. This era, they were really separate. So when they're not even shooting scenes together in this one. Yeah, if, if Costello's suspicious about something and he's he's paranoid, you could see how that would play into it. It's just like it oh, doesn't sure. matter what the role is. I, I, this one's funnier, yeah, but if Abbott's getting more screen time than I am, I want that. Just a weird era, man. But none of it shows on film. No, not at all. Yeah, maybe they can exercise some of it through the uh, the physical back and forth that they get in some of their other movies. But yeah, you don't really see that they are at odds with each other. They play well off each other. What Abbott and, and Costello are on screen together, you can never tell. No, no, no. Total professionals. Even like the radio show, they, when this was going on, there'd be a stage and they'd come out and there's a microphone and one would come in from one side, one would come in from the other side. They didn't talk, they didn't do it. But during the production, perfect. I mean, they were total pros. I mean, he knew that, you know, when the camera was rolling or when, you know, they were recording audio, total pros. But yeah, and Costello admitted to it years later. He referred to it as a really ridiculous thing, the first split. He said, we didn't even talk to each other except when we were on stage. So... Knowing that background, it's kind of interesting to watch the film because Abbott's character in this, too, is uh, at least the the original character. First one, we get two characters from Bud, Cuthbert Greenway, who's the great, great, great grandfather of the other character. He plays Dr. Ralph Greenway. But when he's playing Cuthbert, he's really awful. Yeah. Oh, no, he's a terrible person. Terrible. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to see the way he treats Costello in the movies. He may have been channeling. He probably didn't have to act a whole lot in this scene. <laughs> Yeah, I could see that for sure. But you don't see any of that when he plays the other character, uh, the Dr. Greenway character. You don't see any of that at all. So may- maybe he just focused all of that in there, really wanted to lock him up in a trunk somewhere. That's- yeah. <laughs> Got that out of his system, and then here we go. But Bud does such a great job, too, because when even those two characters, I mean, it's the same guy, but those two characters, he, he just he looks sinister as Cuthbert. Like, you really hate him. Oh, yeah. You really despise him in this film. I mean, even though he treats Costello poorly in other films and slaps him around, we talk about that in joke, you know, things about that. But you don't hate Bud. It's just, you know, it's part of the act. In this one, I really, truly dislike Cuthbert a lot. Yeah. It's horrible. He's not just a foil. He's a villain. Yeah. And he really is going to cross that line. And I was a little worried the first time I watched this that we're going to be stuck with this guy through the rest of the movie. I, I didn't want to hang out with this guy. Now, did you, when you were watching this, did you think the whole thing was going to take place in the Revolutionary War? The first time I started it, yes. Okay, so you thought, okay, yeah, that would be a tough slog. Um, yeah. One thing that, because I watch this again now, and I'm really, like I said, I've seen it a million times, but this time I watched it again, it was like, I'm really surprised how dark it is. Just those opening maybe what 10 minutes of the film it's a really dark movie I mean, costello 
But he plays Horatio and Melody played by Marjorie Brown. They're shot and killed like in the first few minutes. Spoiler alert, but (laughs) sorry, folks. Um, But you know what? They have to die because they're ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, they're shot, killed, dumped in a well and cursed. And like, this is this is pretty vicious, man. But that shot of their bodies in the well, that's more terrifying, I think, than probably anything we saw in the monster movies. I agree. It's heartbreaking, too. It's it's just so awful. So awful. And, you know, they burn then burn the house down. It just there's just some really dark moments uh, early on in that. So, again, some we've talked about how unique this film is for Evan Costello. I, you know, it's just I think that aspect of it when I was a kid, it was just so different that I went, oh, this is this is different than every because sometimes the other movies kind of blend together. You don't remember which routine is from which film. Sure. Um you know, obviously with the monster movies, you know, which, you know, Dracula and all those different things. But sometimes when you're you're talking about Susquehanna Hat Company or whatever, you're like, oh, is this – and even who's on first? I have to try to remember which movie that's from, you know, and it's just can they kind of blend together. This one, you don't have any problem with that. You know exactly <laughs> what scenes are from this movie too. And I think the other thing that I have a special memory of is the special effects. They're so good. You know, they really are. Uh, for the kind of movie this is – it's something that I can't imagine a lot of money was spent on, you know, this, I, I don't know. I don't know what the budget was or anything like that, but the special effects in this are at least as good as the invisible man. Oh, absolutely. And I can tell you a breakdown of the budget too. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, one, okay. That's the one great thing about Evan Gustavo in Hollywood. It talks about that. Um, let's see. It was originally scheduled to run 48 days. The production ran two weeks over coming in at $830,625 for back in the day. Bud and Lou received 111 thousand blood but it was interesting in this book it gives you a breakdown of the special effects <laughs> which the other some of the other uh movies listed here don't do that uh, i thought that you're going to get a kick out of these preparation and test of heaven two thousand dollars wire gags in library hallways and living room fifteen hundred bucks rigging car for blind driving and steering wheel to fly off seven hundred fifty dollars drinking water gag on costello six hundred bucks hay gag in stable four hundred ninety bucks clock compartment gags 300 bucks an illumination gag on Costello 250 bucks we may or may not have talked about this before but Costello liked to take stuff off the set and just take it home like props he would just take them home furniture yeah. clothes whatever he would just take it it's his movie I guess I don't know different back in the day but in this one they had to shoot the scenes twice once with the actors and once without the actors obviously to get the composite sets but Costello <laughs> would take stuff and the director was like he would say no don't you can't move this this clock has to stay here or this candle has to stay here, you know, whatever. Cause they, it's has to match the shot and he would take stuff home and they'd come back the next day. And be gone. <laughs> so they'd have to re get the stuff back from him and then reshoot from scratch again, which is probably why they went over, over production. Cause, cause of Costello, the water gag costing so much that blows my mind, <laughs> but you can't, it's on the screen. The money's on the screen. Yeah. 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 Uh, the water gag specifically for listeners who have not seen the movie or don't remember. Yeah, it's right after, after he dies. Yeah, yeah. And, and they come up and he wants a drink. Costello needs a drink. He's thirsty. And uh, he, he helps himself some water. And it's it's an old gag. I mean, mm-hmm. he's been shot, so he's got a couple holes in him and the water spouts yeah. out of him. And you know, he's like, oh, I'm so thirsty. So he drinks some more and it happens again. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, that's just a couple of pieces, you know, a couple of tubes, you know, whatever, and a pump hooked up or whatever. That's a lot of money to spend on something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it well, looks great. It is fun. It's fun. Of it, course. It yeah. does. And it, yeah, and it's a memorable part of the movie, but we've seen it in cartoons up to that point. Sure. Sure. But for live action, I mean, again, you put these things back in the day. I mean, you've got 
you know, somebody walking down a staircase in just the dress, uh, which, you know, you ultimately would see an invisible man and things like that, too. Um, you know, floating cigarettes, uh, you know, lighting cigarettes with you know, floating matches and different things like that. All those things, they look so amazing. But back in the day, it was almost impossible to pull those off in live action. Sure. Uh, so somebody, a today audience watching is like, oh, why don't they just CGI? <laughs> you know, even to the days of Superman in Star Wars in the late 70s. They were still trying to figure out how to do practical effects. We still had to do those things, even to that late stage. So you can just imagine mid-40s, and you're trying to pull some of this stuff off. Amazing. The dress walking down the stairs, I mean, that just by itself was mm -hmm. a standout moment for me, for seeing the effects and seeing how that was done. This is a ghost story, so we're going to have some things floating and doors opening and closing and that sort of thing. But to have the dress walk down the stairs and have it look as good as it did. Yeah. That was great. Oh, it looks phenomenal. I think they used that in the trailer, obviously. Yeah. But also the physical comedy that goes along with it. So you're not just putting on the special effect and having to pull that off realistically, but you've also got the actors around reacting to these things for the physical comedy. So you're shooting at multiple times. Their timing has to be perfect. The screams, the faints, the, you know, the reaction, and then... The invisible dress has to react and run back up the stairs scared. And even just, you know, when Costello and Marjorie Reynolds run at each other in the same direction and pass through each other. And then their clothes, they're each wearing each other's clothes. <laughs> Again, the effect looks amazing, but the comedy is even better. The reactions on top of it. It's just perfect. It, they All the actors are at the top of their game and they're all selling it. And we, we talked a lot about, you know, Abbott and his timing by himself playing off other people and Costello and oh, wow he's just so fun to watch and mm -hmm. even when he's not directly interacting with Abbott but he is because he's a ghost and Abbott can't really react to him the way it's just there's something magic there behind the scenes yeah maybe they weren't getting along or whatever there's still magic on screen they were pros total pros well and just watching Costello get to do things to Abbott because he can't see him you know, like kicking him in the pants from behind or, <laughs> you know, just basically just messing with him yeah. at this point. It's fun to watch that version of Abbott who does feel sorry for what his you know, great, great, great grandfather did. And he's trying to make up for it. It's a completely different version of Bud Abbott than we've ever seen. And Costello gets to that's why it's so weird. It's like, why would you ever want to not play that role? This, you know, maybe. Maybe he went away and read – and you know what? You bring up a good point. Like did he not read the script? He may not have because that's another thing with Abba and Costello too is they glanced at the scripts, but they never really read them and reread them and memorized them. That that comes through in a lot of the – I mean even Chris Costello, his daughter mentions that. They would remember things immediately. So they'd look it over once and get their lines and be done with it, and a lot of times they'd ad lib. They just kind of wanted to know what am I supposed to do in this scene and go through. So to your point, maybe Costello didn't read the script. <laughs> Maybe he went home for a couple of days, looked at it and went, oh, I get to do these things to Abbott. <laughs> Maybe I should read these scripts a little closer. Maybe, you could be dead on. That could be it. Maybe he went home and took that time and, and actually read the script because he does get to do a lot of things to Abbott that he doesn't get to do in the other movies. And it is fun to watch. One of my favorite moments or one of my favorite elements of this movie is uh, Horatio and Melody exploring modern day when they're in the room, they turn on the radio. Yeah. I love this. They're, they're figuring how the light switch works and it's just the, the radio and, and just kind of coming to terms with some of the new tech that's in the house that apparently they haven't been in the house at all uh, this whole that, time. You hit the nail right on the head. Okay. 
as I'm rewatching this, my first thought was, haven't they been in the house in 166 years? I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, I mean, the story for people who haven't seen it, it starts in the Revolutionary War. You're five years into it, 1780. We should probably talk about the plot a little bit. Yeah, probably. Um, <laughs> We're kind of all over yeah. the place here, but, you know. No, but it's, uh, you know, um, Melody, Marjorie Reynolds' character, Melody, she's in love with, I want to make sure I get all the, the names down, Thomas Danbury, who turns out to be a traitor. She doesn't realize this. And Costello is in love with Nora, who's played by Ann Gillis. She's basically one of um, Thomas Danbury's servants, and Costello's going to buy her out, and they're going to go off and, and elope and get married. And as it turns out, Thomas Danbury is a traitor to the cause, and both Nora and Melody figure this out. So things happen, and Melody and Horatio go off to warn uh, the American troops, and they're mistaken as traitors. So that's how they get shot and killed and dumped in. In the meantime, the American forces come in, and they take everything out of the house, out of Danbury's house, and burn it to the ground. And so that's the thing when we're in the mod- in modern days, in 1946, they rebuild the house. So that was my – the only reason I bring up is that was my – they obviously saw like construction workers and modern cars and machinery and trucks <laughs> building the house, right? Because he – Costello references – That's a good point. Oh, I rue the day or something since they built that – rebuilt that house or something because he, you know – They've been stuck there. Yeah, you know, they've been cursed there for all this time. So to, that was my thought was like, didn't they just like walk up and look in the window or something and just see like phones and radios and cars? I don't know. I don't know. I guess That's you just kind of have to That's buy into point. The, the whole premise. Yeah. So, but that was my thought because when you go in, it, it, is, yeah. it is a great scene because you wouldn't have that of them like discovering this for the first time, this new technology. But yeah, it is kind of a plot hole. It is, but it's so fun. Right, because I, I would rather have the plot hole and have that comedic scene that you talked about where they're like flicking the lights off and on and trying yeah. to figure out. And the, the radio, and was it like a crime drama comes on? <laughs> and they they think it's the war. <laughs> it's, a, it's the old joke yeah. of hearing, you think what's going on on the radio is actually happening in real life. So you get that comedy too. Yeah. Uh, no, the, the, that was just some of my favorite stuff in this film is that and then that also kind of escalates a little bit to how they <laughs> how he starts driving the car but that's at the end of the movie right well they figured it out pretty quickly though yeah like yeah. melody tells him i think you press that thing and turn push that thing and then costello's again i do this so you know you think i watch <laughs> this thing's good but it yeah it's just such a I, I do like the when so when you realized it jumped forward to modern day. That's what I'm interested in uh-huh. of what you thought about that because you thought it was going to be basically Evan Costello in the Revolutionary War an entire Basi- period piece. What did you yeah, think basically. when it jumped ahead 166 years? So first, I thought the way they did the jump was pretty clever. Mm-hmm. Great the way they the way they showed time passing, just showing different carvings and trees of different couples putting their initials in the year that they were in love in you know whatever and i thought that was cute that was a nice way to do it without going to the old trope of let's show a calendar advancing or whatever right. i thought that was a neat little way to do that didn't so. that sequence remind you a little bit of like the way it was shot didn't it remind you a little bit of like maybe like citizen kane or something like that i'm just thinking like these really dark uh shadowy kind of thing you know you had like shadows on the trees and just like the snow falling it just it seems so different just you know from a cinematography point of view. Yeah. It did seem very different uh, and, and nice. It was welcome. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty well done. 
when I realized it was happening, though, it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Now I get it. And I thought, you know what? Let's. I'm in for it. Let's do it. At this point, though, <laughs> Costello's dead. They shot him. Right. So something's got to happen to really kind of make this movie kind of save itself, really, because it does get dark, really dark. Yeah. Did you think he wasn't moment. dead? and that, Or like, how did you think that was going to play out? Because, again, you've killed off the main character in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, everything was kind of upended for me. Okay. I had no clue. I had no clue. That's cool. That's cool. So, yeah, so whenever those things happen, and when you saw Bud pull up uh, for the first time, <laughs> yeah, I'm just curious that, like, from a first-time viewer, how you how you see that. I read about a lot of movies that I haven't seen just because there's not enough time to watch all the movies that I want to watch, right? right? So I've got all these directories and all these guides to this and encyclopedias of that or whatever. And just over the years, you kind of pick up, oh, well, that's what that movie's about, even if you haven't seen it. So it's it's hard for me to find a movie that is going to completely upend everything for me and, and completely shock me in a way that this film did. I was not expecting it to take that dark turn. I was not expecting Costello to die. I mean, come on, man. This is a comedy. <laughs> and they're shooting him in the back as they're riding off. You yeah. know, And it's a total mistaken identity thing, so it's even more tragic. So at this point, I am just riveted to the screen trying to figure out, okay, um, what did Joe get me into? Yeah. Well, and, you know, when the modern, for them, I mean, when the 1940s stuff starts happening, things start to come back into place for me. And, and it's like the different puzzle pieces in my head are finally starting to make sense. It's like, oh, okay, this is where it's going to go. This is, so it, it was kind of a relief to kind of have that all kind of answered for me. And then I was just in it for the rest of the ride. A screenplay by Val Burton, Walter DeLeon, and uh, Bradford Ropes, I think it is. It really lays everything out perfectly because when you're rewatching it, there's the comedy of it, but everything is placed at the beginning. It's a really good story that plays out. The reason they can't get off the property is like they were shot as traitors, dumped in the well, cursed to live it forever. And But then they put that little caveat in there of unless there's evidence that proves that they weren't traitors, <laughs> that puts it out there. And then you have the letter that Costello had gotten. He, he plays a tinker. You know, this guy who just you know, comes in and fixes things and, you know, it's it's his entrance to the movie is really cool. But he just came back and got this basically a letter of recommendation from George Washington. His friend, George Washington, is, you know, is he likes to point out throughout the movie. And so when everybody starts finding out that, that Danbury's a traitor, Danbury finds out from Nora about this letter. And so he has to hide this. And that's this just plot just is so intricate and it plays out. He hides the letter and the clock. So you know that there's the clock is going to have to play a part in it. You see him, how he figures out this little secret compartment in there. And so when the house gets burned down, they even show all the furniture being pulled out ahead of time. So they, everything is well thought out. All the pieces are in place as you move through this. And you probably caught that on the second viewing as you're going through. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they really did lay all the breadcrumbs throughout this. So then in modern day, they're coming in, uh, Sheldon Gage, played by John Shelton. He restores the estate, builds it all back in, and goes back and gets all the furniture. I don't know how he has the money to do this. It's just like he basically <laughs> buys every piece of furniture in there they put in, except the clock. And it's a reproduction. And so now you know at some point there's going to be a chase to get the clock. Costello and Marjorie Reynolds, they can't leave the property, obviously, because they're cursed there, so they can't leave and go find things. Um, it just plays out really so cool. And the other cool thing about this is that Bud, to redeem what his ancestor had done, 
He's the one that tries to go get the clock. So he has to get in a car. Bud had never driven a car before. Right. He had to learn to drive a car for this film. <laughs> so I thought that was strange because they had all, all the drivers everywhere. That's another first uh, for this. So the plot really plays out well. And there's a mystery. Oh, it's almost like a mystery that has to be solved and how to help these two individuals out to prove that they weren't traitors so they could finally get off the property. And yeah, it's just uh, – it, it plays out so well. And the cast really has fun with it. And a lot of it just kind of takes place in one area or kind of tight quarters within the estate. Yeah, for the most part, it all takes place right there on the estate. The only time we really get off-site really is uh, when Abbott has to go steal the clock or get the clock. Right. And that's pretty much it. The rest of it's all right there on the estate there. And, you know, it works. It never felt like I was trapped there. I wanted to hang out there and then see what happened next. You know, I wasn't <laughs> yeah. anxious to get away, you know? Yeah, it was a cool place. Again, a lot of the effects, uh, uh, just even them trying to leave the property and they're almost like springboarded back. Uh, I think I may have caught a wire or two every now and again, but it really plays out well. I appreciated that too. I really enjoyed that. While I'm sure Lou could have done it, they didn't just let them like pretend, you know, kind of mime getting stuck and then walking back or whatever. Right. There was some real force there. There was some real force holding them back. And like you said, they're probably a line or two <laughs> holding them yeah. back. Uh, and, and that kind of adds to the overall effect. It makes it feel even more, I mean, for a ghost story, more real. Yeah. Even when they're like, taking uh, the cops arrive and try to take Bud out for because he steals the, he does steal the clock brings it back and they're trying to get him off property and then obviously Costello and Reynolds they realize oh if we just jump in the car they can't leave because we can't leave and so even that aspect that effect of the car kind of being pulled back that even looks uh, amazing as well too so yeah just I mean so many good things about this and again everything makes sense aside from them not knowing how things work <laughs> they've been there for so long most everything just plays out perfectly it totally makes sense totally makes sense within the context of everything going on and you can just tell even if they didn't get along offset everybody else is having a good time making this movie i'll tell you one person i really enjoyed was like gail sondergaard emily yes she was a lot of fun i i really enjoyed her and and she's just kind of straight kind of dour character through part of it. She's the only one that can really hear the ghost to begin with. She runs the, the seance and I was looking, I, I didn't write it down and I was just looking online trying to find the actual line of dialogue that she says to kind of summon the ghosts to the table, <laughs> to the seance. Oh, and they're like, oh, she must be in her greatest hits because <laughs> she's yeah, yeah. saying it over and over again. <laughs> Which also leads to one of my favorite lines in the whole movie and I don't know why this tickled me so much, but when Danbury's ghost is talking through Emily to get a message to Melody. Oh, great. It's a ghost-to-ghost connection. I don't know why, but that line just makes me laugh. <laughs> that was, uh, I, yeah, again, the comedy, it, the yeah. just the supporting characters, just kind of all, all playing off it, too. It's interesting, too. They can interact with people. Like, they can lift things. Obviously, the, the dress, she puts a dress on it and walks down the stairs. Um, Costello sure. lights Abbott's cigarette, you know, with the... And even at one point, Costello... Because um, Bud's a doctor, so he's got a stethoscope on, and he leans in and talks to him through that. So they can interact on some level, or at least he makes a noise. He's able to make a noise through it. Right. So they, it's interesting. It's not like the Patrick Swayze thing where they can't interact with them. Uh, it's just they can't talk, which you have to write that in because if they could talk, they would just say, here's the plot. <laughs> They'd be, oh, okay, and here's, yeah, how we, yeah. here's how we fix everything. So it has to be handled different ways. The only thing, at the end, too – 
when Costello hands the steering wheel, because obviously he crashes the car and the steering wheel goes flies off, flying off. That's a pretty cool effect in and of itself. Sure. When he hands the steering wheel back to the, the cop, did you get that the cop could hear Costello? Because <laughs> he goes, here you go. And he goes, oh, thank yeah. you. I, yeah, I did pick up. Yeah, it did seem like that. So I don't know if that was off or not, or if somehow because things have been resolved now he can hear. It's, I don't know. But that makes another funny moment. There's a lot of good physical comedy going on at the end there as well. In the car, or as they call it, the carriage. You know, as long as we're sitting in this carriage, you can't leave, you know. Yeah. I, I enjoyed as well. And then here's another special effects moment. The police officer's hat being pulled down around his ears. Yeah, and I looked at that too, and I didn't see any strings or anything on that. Because it's no, being it was pulled well straight done. downward. I'm guessing there's like something on the sides and something was pulled down from below. But you're right. That looked amazing. It was really good. The effects in this hold up so well. I mean, it's a ghost story, so you're expecting some moments, and they have that, yeah. but it's layered with the comedy, so it, it's pretty special. I really had a good time watching this movie, despite the fact that I don't remember there being a lot of music in it. Now, I'm a film score guy, and I remember feeling like towards the end when there is some noticeable film score, oh, wait. There's some film music here, too. You know, it's like the whole thing didn't even need it. Right. That's the key, too, is that you don't have to have that. If it's not required, then, you know, I mean, some yeah, don't waste it, it, yeah. yeah. And Evan Costello movies are really known for their music a lot of times, whether it's the Andrew mm-hmm. sisters and some of the wartime films and like actual songs that, you know, they used to do. Or we think about the really creepy, the monster movies and that, you know, we've got those great, unbelievably great scores in that. Again, yeah, like you said, I don't think this one needs it. These situational comedies that they're they're doing, as opposed to the skit comedies that they're doing, uh, with the last one, where they, again these are just actual situations that they're deriving the comedy from, not just necessarily the skits. I think those are strong enough that they're playing out on their own. The plot in this is really good. You really get invested in the characters, and so then you don't realize all the other trappings of an Evan Costello movie aren't there. And I think that's what makes this one unique. Um, and one of the best punchlines. This one just ends on such a strong comedic note. <laughs> yeah i don't know if we want to give that one away i uh, we'll let, i don't know man but, uh yeah they finally go off to meet and get free if you haven't seen it you know they finally do you know they're, they're proven to be they're not traitors so they can leave the estate and they can finally go off into wherever and meet up with their their loved ones but did you think thomas danbury got off too easy in this one i did i did now maybe he's trying to redeem himself a little bit by helping melody get off the property but, yeah, he wasn't a good guy. No, but they find his <laughs> journal, and apparently, like, after he was arrested or whatever, he wrote this journal and wrote it yeah. in. It's like, I feel so bad that I did this to Horatio, the tinker, because that's how they find out about different things about them, too. Is it conveniently, they these things were, they confessed <laughs> to their sins and wrote them down in journals, which were then purchased later. I mean, he basically, he kidnapped Nora, Costello's love. He really did... Costello and Marjorie Reynolds dirty in this. And it's like, oh, I feel bad about this. So he's redeemed, I guess. I don't know. And then she goes off with him at the end and everything's fine. And then Costello goes off with Nora. But yeah, I just thought Danbury, I don't know. I, I thought, did get off I too thought easy. Uh, Melody forgave him a little too much in this. And you have to have a happy ending, right? Yeah, especially for an Abbott and Costello movie. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's not that dark. We were saying earlier, and you were talking earlier about how everything's kind of set up nicely and everything kind of makes sense. There is one moment where I kind of rolled my eyes, and I, I did this the very first time I saw this film. Okay. 
I'm a tinker, and I would know if something could be hidden in a clock. And nothing can be hidden in a clock, so there's no way there's nothing in that clock. Okay, you're laying it on a little too thick. A little too on the nose. Yeah, a little too on the But, you know, that's me now from a, a 2020 movie viewer perspective, having watched thousands of movies in my lifetime. Right. Over and over and over again. You know, also being a writer and kind of noticing these tricks here and there. It just seemed a little too on the nose. But... You know, it wasn't enough to take me out of the movie. It's just like, oh, okay, it's a clock. So now now it's not, let's find the note. It's now, let's try to find a way to have the ones who are still alive find the note. Yeah. Then, well, it's a MacGuffin, and, right? It's the classic yeah. MacGuffin. Whether it's a Hitchcock film or a Spielberg film or whatever it is, got to have something that they're going after. And in this case, it, it actually, it, I mean, makes sense. So, yeah, and it's almost like for the audience, uh, 1946 audience at the time, in case you didn't get it, this is what we need to chase. <laughs> This is what the right. plot's going to hinge around. So, yeah. But then they twist it because it's not the original clock to begin with. So there's still an element of, hey, we really do have to get the clock. And it's not this one. So at least we have that. Well, and a really short running time on this one, too. Like, you know, just I think just under, you know, buck and a half. So that third act, you really did need Bud Abbott going off. And, and again, you get this really cool moment where he has to go to the museum. He has to get the original clock. Nope, sorry, you can't have it. And then he's got to find a way to sneak it out. He, sh- he shoves in a, a giant clock <laughs> under his coat. So there's a comedy there of him. And he sells it. I mean, Abbott really sells it in this one. So again, that's oh, yeah. sort of, you need that third actor. You, you'd only have like a, like a, what, a 75 minute movie or something. <laughs> well, and when he's walking down the stairs trying to, you know, hide the clock and his coat that really felt more like a Costello routine than an Abbott routine to me. Yeah. And again, this is one of those things in this film that just kind of twists what your expectations are going to be of the film. And, and I appreciated that too. Yeah. I mean, you still get all the great things that we love about an Abbott Costello film just mm-hmm. done in a, in a completely different way. And I think that's what makes this one unique. I think that's why it stands the test of time too, as we go through and it, why many Abbott Costello fans consider this to be one of their best, if not their best. I would put it right up there. I would put it right up there with me, Frankenstein. Yeah. I really would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just for two different reasons. I mean, two completely different films, but equally as good. Yeah. I mean, Meet Frankenstein speaks to the monster kid in me. This one speaks to the Abbott and Costello fan in me. I mean, this this really is, if I'm going to show somebody an Abbott and Costello movie for the first time, I may even go with this one. Yeah, I'll Because good. it is just so good. The production value is so good. You do have some great slapstick vaudevillian type moments you do have the bit where he's in the hay and he's sneezing that he's he's flying all over the place yeah he does get knocked around a little bit but costello is just fun to watch in this you get to see abbott get picked on a little bit and kind of the back and forth it's just so good i'm glad you love it that's i we've been talking about this one forever i think even when we first did meet frankenstein way back in the day i knew this one was one of my favorites and i was hoping you would like as well i knew it was completely different so i wasn't sure how you'd react to it. So I'm glad you like it. No, I really enjoyed it. Listeners, if you can't tell, I love this movie. And (laughs) I highly, highly recommend it. And it's just a lot of fun. There are moments in this that are, I suppose, typical now of a ghost comedy where people are seeing things float around or whatever. But there's just that Abbott and Costello spin to it that makes it something special. And it has Superman. And it does have Superman. There you go. <laughs> it's got some great performances all around. Yeah. You've got a good dramatic turn from Abbott as just this dastardly villain guy. God, I would have loved to have seen him play a villain in something. Just a full-on villain. I don't know in what, but just, just because something. because they get so locked into the team? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think just because they were teams for so early on, and Abbott didn't think that he would do ever do anything without uh, Costello, and he didn't really. I mean, Costello did a couple, I think, a film or two without Abbott uh, after they broke up uh, finally, but. Yeah, he was just happy to be part of the team. But he he re- this proves he really could have been an amazing character actor in a ton of films. And yeah, like some of the ones you talk about all the time, that guy that comes in, either the the doctor or the lawyer or something or the detective or something or like a heavy, you know, like you mentioned, or a villain or something like that. He could have done any of those things easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to listen to him speak mm-hmm. apart from doing routines with Costello because he's got this kind of... I don't know if it's a New York style, but there's just some something about the way he delivers his lines, his voice. He really could have played a heavy in something. I don't know, like a crime lord type or or something. Yeah. There's just something dastardly about him underneath the surface that I loved. But that's only as as Cuthbert. As Dr. Ralph, he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. And he wants to help out. He wants to make up for what happened. But the comedy, too, is that he, when he's reacting to all these things happening, he has to make the faces. He has to yeah. react to all these crazy things going on. So he pulls off that side. That's why I say you can get two really good different performances from Bud Abbott in this one. So good. I am such a fan of what he did in this film. and makes me really like him even more. I mean, I love them both. I love the boys. They're great. And Marjorie and, Reynolds. Uh, yeah, I got to Oh, I, no, she's, she's so good amazing. in this film. But and it's so cool, too, because one of the things I thought was interesting about her character is uh, that she gets the powers down right. And Costello, obviously, the comedy comes from the fact that he can't get his power. He can't figure out his powers <laughs> through this. So he, she's always running through walls. He's always running into the walls. And then he does the breaks the fourth wall and says, I keep forgetting to do that. <laughs> like he keeps yeah. telling us like we had to say but it was cool, too, because like how she disappears, like she'll shimmy. And like he has to do it too. And so like when she shimmies, it's one thing. And it was like the, even the Breen office, the uh, standards and practices of the time, they warned them like she can't be too suggestive in how she does it. It was 1946. Really? Yeah. Wow. Like they had, to, they had to be careful like how she did that because they couldn't have it too suggestive. But it was okay to have Costello do it and lose his pants. Of course. Well, that's <laughs> comedy. Right. She can't look too suggestive, but Costello can lose his pants. That's okay. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, those two uh, are just, amazing. Just a lot of – they were really good together. They never really did much more together, no, together did they? No, but that would That's have been – it would have been good to see that that happen if she could have been brought back for a few more. Yeah, she really did have the timing down for a lot of the comedy that she was working with. Yeah, and maybe because this one didn't do gangbusters at the box office at the time, maybe they just thought, oh, you know what, let's get back. And they did. Buck Privates come home. Uh, they kind of went back to, to familiar territory after this. And that, you know, those that went through. Um, so, yeah, it was an oddball one for the boys. Uh, a couple of oddball ones in a row. And it was like, okay, we, okay, we, we did that. Let's go back to what people remember. <laughs> So they kind of went right. back to maybe that's why maybe this was just too different for them. I'm, like I said, it's one of my favorites now of of the boys, right up there with Frankenstein. It is right up there at the top, and I know I'm going to watch it again uh, before the end of the year because I loved it so much. You know, it's something oh, I'm going to watch three times this year. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> it's a good one. Like I said, the rewatchable factor on this is through the roof. Mm-hmm. The production design, the comedy. You know, I don't know if listeners were expecting this kind of an episode where we just kind of talked about. Hey, yeah, I like this movie. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I really liked it. Yeah, me too. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know what else to say here. You know, this was just a, a real treat and a nice way to really kind of end the Abbott and Costello spooky movies uh, because this is pretty much it. All the other movies are are non-monster, non-ghost. I mean, they're still good. Yeah. But 
you know, in terms of representation on Monster Kid Radio, I think this probably is going to be it for the boys, unless something is uncovered at some point, or you have something, you know, in your pocket that you're just waiting <laughs> to play on me or whatever. But you know, nothing that's jumping <laughs> out at me right now. But uh, if we're going to close out the Evan Costello years, is certainly a good one to close it out on. Like I said, there's so much to this. It's not just a matter of uh, you know us liking the film. It's if you want great special effects for back in the day, if you want to see how they did some of these things and mixed in with a comedy. There's so many ghost movies, comedies, but you know Bob Hope did one. Uh, there's mm-hmm. you know so it's like this really fits in well with that two different versions of characters and you've got time travel almost and there's there's a lot that plays out in this and a lot of spooky dark creepy stuff too so yeah a little something for everybody it really is so listeners don't expect Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein expect something just as good just a little different (laughs) pretty much all I have to say I mean pick it up it's part of the uh, collection, I believe it's in that crate set, isn't it? I know it's in the Universal collection. I think I have the four volumes, the Evan, like all the movies, uh, with the exception of a few of them that are in there. But I've got like the four volume set, and mine's on that. It's those like double double sided discs, which I'm not oh, a huge right. fan of. Um, yeah. but that's on that too. So there's yeah, there's a couple of different ways to find it out there. Yeah, and I'll make sure there's links in the show notes so people can pick it up. You know, go through the Amazon affiliate link and we get a buck or two or whatever it is Amazon's giving out that month uh, to support Monster Kid Radio. And you get a really cool uh, collection as well and a nice little box set. It's available on DVD and Blu-ray from Shout Factory. And depending on when you're listening to this, you may or may not get it for a while. And <laughs> I know I ordered something and it, well, I think it's going to yeah. take like uh, like you know a month and a half to get it. But you know, hang in there. It's going to be worth it. Who knows how, how much longer we'll need... Uh, to restock our, our video libraries as we go through things, but it's definitely worth the purchase if you don't have it. Joe, I really appreciate you bringing Abbott and Costello into my life. Absolutely. I'm glad I did too. I'm glad I did yeah. it. Odds Bodkins. Ghostbreakers Incorporated. You make them, we shake them. Bob Hope speaking. Yes, Paulette Goddard's a partner in this firm. What? You want me to send her around? Ha, ha, ha. Listen, if I could tell Paulette what to do, I wouldn't send her to your house. Sucker. You know, I never knew there were so many ghosts roaming around loose until Paulette and I got into the Ghost Breakers. Believe me, the cat in the canary was a pink tea compared to this picture. It all starts on one terrible night. Basil Rathbone must be giving a party. That's the night that Paulette inherits a ghostly ancient castle off the ghost, I mean the coast of Cuba. The place is filled with mummies and spooks that walk at midnight. There are murders and death warnings planned to frighten Paulette and me, but we ain't frightened. I'll match you to see who faints first. Miss Carter's voice. Ah, that's what they're trying to make us believe.
One reason Paulette and I are such good ghost breakers is that we don't believe in ghosts. <laughs> or do I? Vampires, werewolves, zombies. Yes, these things are real. But fortunately for those of us who can afford him, so is Mark Temple. And he's good. Real good. He's a former FBI agent turned freelancer with the knowledge and skills to eliminate your monster problems. And his rates are negotiable. Monster Hunter for Hire, the first volume of the Supernatural Solutions, the Mark Temple Case Files, is now available in both ebook and paperback. Go to tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple to buy your copy of Derek M. Cook's latest book. Read about Mark Temple, the experienced professional now available to rid you of your supernatural, ghoulish, and monstrous pests. That's tinyurl.com slash monsterhuntertemple. And don't worry, Mark Temple is discreet. thank everybody for listening to this week's episode of monster kid radio i know i keep saying this but really you guys and gals are one of the most important parts of this podcast without having you guys and gals on the other side of this thing i'm just some crazy person sitting in front of his computer talking about monster movies to himself and admittedly that's not all that bad but knowing that there's somebody out there listening and hopefully just nodding along and having a good time makes me feel a little less crazy about doing what I do. So thank you. If you're involved in any kind of social media, please consider retweeting tweets, sharing posts on Facebook, just letting your friends and family know about Monster Kid Radio because the more listeners we have, the more downloads we have, the merrier, the more voices we can add to the mix. And speaking of adding voices to the mix, if you have anything that you'd like to add to the mix, By way of listener feedback, please feel free to send that in to monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. If there is anything that you want to talk about regarding any kind of classic monster movie or not so classic, I'd love to share it with the listeners here on the show. In fact, if there's any events coming up that you'd like to talk about and make sure listeners know about, I'd like to be able to help get that out there as well. Of course, I know... There isn't anything really live in person happening right now, and and that's understandable, but I know I'm not the only person doing a virtual movie watch party. For example, this Friday, the 3rd, Midnight Mausoleum is doing a Facebook Live event at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's the Midnight Mausoleum from Beyond Space Facebook Live event. It's their 11-year anniversary. 11 years. Oh, man. That's awesome. Marlena Midnight and company do a bang-up job. Go check them out. Look up Midnight Mausoleum on Facebook. They spell Midnight, M-I-D-N-I-T-E. Like them. Go to the Facebook. Go to the Facebook Live event on Friday and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. And tell Marlena I said hi. I know Mr. Lobo just recently did a 24-hour movie watch event or marathon on Facebook Live. So if there's anything like that happening, please feel free to let me know about it and I'll make sure the rest of the listeners know about it coming up next week oh boy we're gonna have a double dose of steve next week because steve turk's coming back to go over the results of the current round of voting for the monster movie madness tournament again that's tinyurl.com slash monster madness 2020 to get your vote in by april 7th we're gonna have the results of that but we're going to have another Steve join us as well. Stephen D. Sullivan. Steve Sullivan and I are going to get together and we're going to talk about one of my, (laughs) 
you know, I giggle every time I talk about it. I love this movie unironically. I really enjoy this film. And if not for the fact that it was released in 1970, it actually would have fit in just fine in this year's Monster Movie Madness Tournament because it's that kind of movie. It is Dracula versus Frankenstein. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died. The other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color, rated GP. I've been spending a lot of time with this film lately. A couple of different reasons why I'll get into it next week when I have Steve Sullivan on to talk about the film. And I know that this movie has a lot of famous monsters of Filmland connection. So I'm real eager to hear what Kenny puts together for his segment next week. No, no pressure, of course. Until now and then, though, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Surfing with the Bird Dragon from Venus. That belongs to the surf band Beach Moonsters, copyright 2020. It's from their new EP release, Surfing with the Bird Dragon from Venus. And in fact, I'm looking at the cover art now and think in the background... I see the giant claw. How appropriate. I didn't even plan that, but I'm going to pretend that I did. Check out their EP. There's two songs on it. You can get it for two euros digitally. Go listen to it, pick it up, and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 